Wow, thank you. What a privilege to, to get to share from God's Word with you today. I, it's been a while since I've preached, so, so pray for me this morning, too, because uh, uh, I'm a little out of practice. Just, if you don't know who I am, I'm Mark Ramsey, and I, I've pastored in the Church of the Nazarene, well, campus ministry and pastoral ministry for, for 30 years. And the past two years have been uh, working with a Chinese mission that brings Chinese students to study here at our Christian schools and puts them in Christian homes. And uh, that's our mission strategy. We run this as a, a, a business as mission in China. And so pray for our ministry that uh, the doors will not close to China like things are appearing because there is still a great need for the gospel to reach China. Amen. And so that's, uh, anyway, that's just a little bit about who, who we are. Um, wow. Uh, we're just going to start with the, the scripture first, and this is, comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. And we're going to continue on with, uh, with Pastor Cal's uh, summer, uh, sermon of the, summer of the Sermon, the, the series on, on the Sermon on the Mount. And I love the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5. You've heard, you've already heard that the commandment says you must not commit adultery. And this is Jesus speaking. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if, if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, you've also heard this. You've heard the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. It creates all kinds of problems. Hmm. So first, I'd like to thank Pastor Cal for planning his vacation on Adultery Sunday <laughs> and leaving... Leaving me to talk about this, <laughs> this is not a sermon about adultery. We are going to talk a little bit about, uh, about the commitment to marriage and about what Jesus has to say about those things uh, for, for just a minute. But we're going to stick to the main themes about the Sermon on the Mount, and that's where I, I want to stay. I tried to find a joke that would fit here because... Pastor Cal's always good at telling those bad dad jokes at the start of sermons, you know, and I see how much you love that. And, uh, but there are no jokes about adultery you can use in a sermon, so I'm sorry. Google it. Look it up. <clears throat> Today I want to talk to you about the true nature of righteousness. You know, I love the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's, it's the greatest sermon ever preached uh, in, in, in many regards. It's really the only like whole sermon that's recorded in the gospels that the, there are snippets and pieces of, of, of things that Jesus said and taught throughout the gospels but but Matthew attempts to write down inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down this sermon that Jesus preached uh, you ought to just read the whole thing in one setting sometimes during this series and just let it sink in and get the big picture uh, uh, the big point of the sermon uh, not just little pieces of, you know little verses that we pull out of it but you need to see the big picture. You read scripture that way, right? You're not just, you're not just searching for a little proof text. We don't do that. We, we, we read the whole counsel of God's word. Amen? Yeah, that's what we're supposed to. That's, that's right. 
But the Sermon on the Mount, Pastor Cal has done a great job of bringing out these incredible, important themes that are there. And, and I don't want to lose sight of those keys. I mean, the start of the sermon is the surprising Beatitudes. The, those things that, that really make a person blessed. And they're so counterintuitive to the way the world thinks about things, aren't they? And I, I love that the way he starts the sermon. And then he talks about being salt and light and how important that is. And Pastor Cal did a great job talking about salt and light. The, the, the salty brightness, right? Don't lose your saltiness. Don't hide your, your light. We've got to be salt and light in this day and age. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, though, is also a teaching about the true nature of righteousness. And that's an idea that's really misunderstood today. And that's, that's where I really want to settle in. On the surface, it looks like when you read this sermon that Jesus is just kind of ratcheting up the expectations on his followers. That those, those people do this, but you have to be up here. Those people have a high standard, but yours has to be even higher. And on the surface, that's, that's what we start to think. Don't just avoid killing people. Don't even hate people. In fact, don't even call them bad names. Don't even call them bad names under your breath. Not even on the interstate. <laughs> that's pretty high standard right there in Texas. Don't just avoid physically committing adultery. Don't even think lustfully about other people. Don't objectify people in the way you think. It's an even higher standard of righteousness than the religious people around them. But get this now, the Sermon on the Mount is not about modifying your behavior. That's not the main point of it. It's not to, not to try to get you to be more pharisaical than the Pharisees. Or to get you to be more legalistic than the teachers of the law were. <laughs> that's not what we need. And that's not what God wants. It is about changing your heart and renewing your mind. In fact, the Holy Spirit can do that, can't He? The Holy Spirit can change our hearts for real. <laughs> and and, and we, with God's Word, renew our mind in such a way that, that we begin to have this worldview. We begin to think with the mind of Christ about life and then the behavior are behaviors that flow out of that well that's the way it's supposed to work isn't it the holy spirit can do that that's that's by the way that's romans 12 1 and 2 you can look that up but it says says that that you can be changed and your mind can be renewed if you if you give him your life as a living sacrifice that can really happen he says, then you'll be able to test and improve God's will. You'll be able to, to actually live out God's will. We call that sanctification. It's internal. And then we work it out into every area of our life and we live it out. By the way, that statement in Romans 12 about God's will, it, uh, it means that we not only uh, try to behave according to God's will, but we actually begin to desire, desire God's will in our hearts. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, though. Let's look at this passage. He says this in, in, in the passage that we, we, we start with in, in Matthew 5, 27. He says, you've already heard this. So here's what you've already heard. Verse 27, he says, you already heard, don't commit adultery. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. They had heard it 2,000 years ago. You've heard it again today. And so I'll just say to you, don't commit adultery. <laughs> it's the seventh commandment and the ten commandments in Exodus 20. 
Be faithful to your spouse. Be faithful physically. Be faithful emotionally. Be faithful spiritually. Take your wedding vows seriously. God does. Just tell you, protect yourself from those who would lead you to be untrue and break your marriage vows. Protect yourself at work, at the gym, in the neighborhood, and especially today online. Protect yourself. Amen? If you don't know how to do that, ask. <laughs> your, your church will help you. You know, you know this, Jesus says. And if you're having struggles in this area, I just want to encourage you, celebrate recovery or a similar ministry. They're available all over the place, and they're great. They can get you into a group that, that will help you to be accountable to somebody, and, and we need accountability partners. Go to counseling. Go to a good Bible-based Christian counselor who can help you. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, I don't, I don't think there's any marriage that doesn't go through struggles and difficulties. It, it, it cha they change over time. We could do a whole sermon series on marriage, and you've, you've sat through those, and I, and I hope they've, they've helped you. Go, go to good resources. Read Gary Smalley's Five Love Languages. It's still classic and good. Read, read His Needs, Her Needs, and there's, there are many others. Dr. Les and Leslie Perra have so much good material and videos and teaching. The, the, the resources are there. I just want to encourage access them. If, if you're having real struggles in your marriage, go to counseling. Talk to your pastor first, and, and he'll help you to get counseling. Fight for your marriage, guys. Fight for it, if necessary. You will not be sorry that you did. That would have been a, been a great place for another amen. Yeah, it is true. <laughs> uh, thank you. Here's the second thing you know in verse 31. Jesus says it again. And you've heard this too, he says to the, to the people around him. Basically what they've heard is that the legal system and Jesus are in conflict in their teaching about divorce or their belief about it. In Jesus' day, a man could divorce a woman simply by writing up a document, signing it, and handing it over and saying, I'm done with you. That was the way it went back then. In that culture, women had no legal standing. They could not enter the sanctuary where worship was really happening in the temple. They couldn't own property. They couldn't even testify in court, let alone bring a case against somebody in court. They could not borrow money, and they had no rights of custody of children. That's the way it was for women in Jesus' day in that Jewish culture. So unless a woman had adult children or, or extended family to take care of her, if she got divorced by a guy, she could be destitute. Now, marriages back then, just like today, some of them were wonderful. They were loving. They were partnerships. They were, they were great, like marriage was intended to be. They were not all abusive and, and uh, like, you know, like, like we're talking about. But many men took advantage of that law of divorce, and some of the men who took advantage of it were the religious leaders. They had divorced their wives and taken younger wives, and, and uh, just it was happening, even in Jesus' day. Men held that divorce threat over their wives to get them to do their bidding. So when you read this passage in Matthew 19 where Jesus is confronting the, the, the religious leaders about this, you have to read it in context, in cultural context. Sometimes the cultural context makes a big difference when we study the Bible. And this is a case of that. In this case, Jesus is speaking directly to those people who were abusing that divorce law. 
and in the process abusing women. Hmm. I want to dispel a myth here, by the way, just as an aside. Uh, you, you, I, I keep hearing this like kind of thrown in the face of Christians in our culture today that the divorce rate is the same among Christians as it is among everyone else. Now, <laughs> did you know that statistics can be manipulated? To, have, have, you, have you learned this? They, they can. That statistic comes from surveys and even from the census where people check Christian as a box on what, what do you, you know, what, what's your religion? Did you know that everyone who checks Christian on a survey doesn't go to church? Uh, I said, no, really. Some people say they're Christian, uh, but they don't even go to church. Uh, well, that's another, another sermon, but, but, the point is this, George Barna's research involves people who attend church regularly with their family, and then people who attend church more than once a week regularly, meaning that they're involved in the ministry and, and, and work of their, own, their church. And you know what? The divorce rate for those people drops dramatically. Committed Christians who are involved in Sunday school and church and are working to serve in their church together with their family are much less likely to get divorced. So anyway, dispel that myth. If somebody throws that in your face, saying, well, that's not entirely true. You need to look at this other, other information. But in Matthew 19, the, the, the leaders, the religious leaders come to Jesus and, and about divorce. And they come to him and they say, look, if God didn't want us to get divorces, then why would Moses tell us that we can Centuries ago, Moses said, you can get a divorce. You, just, you have to write up a document and, and, and sign it and take it to the, the priest and, and the, they'll, you know, they'll grant it. Jesus' answer was simple. He said, said guys, Moses, Moses allowed that because of the hardness of your hearts. That was never God's plan, God's desire for us. Hmm. So, just before we leave this, what, what's, what is the church's stance on divorce? I'm going to get asked that. I've, I've been asked that. In our culture, almost all of us have been affected by divorce. We know that. Uh, Pastor Cal has mentioned his family. My wife Sharon grew up in, in, a, in a home where her parents were divorced. And it's part of her Christian testimony of God's restoration and how he, how he, he uh, reached out to her uh, through summer camp where she spent most of her, uh, all of her summers growing up, basically. We've all been affected by it. Divorce is hard on family, hard on kids, and, and it can last, the struggles can last into the next generation. But listen carefully, guys, listen. The church does not condemn people who go through a divorce. Sometimes it, it's the only way forward. Sometimes the most redemptive thing that can happen in a situation is to get people to be apart. <laughs> to stop the abuse, to stop the anger, to stop whatever is, is, is tearing those lives apart. Sometimes the, the best way forward is 
for people to be a part. It's a last resort. It's not God's plan, but it happens to good people. We hope and pray for healing and restoration whenever possible. And by the way, the church should be there to love on families. Amen. And help them navigate life after divorce to, to help and support and strengthen single parent homes. Just like we love and support somebody who's grieving the loss of a loved one. We need to, to support people who go through a difficult divorce. Oh, Pastor, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Well, find out what to say and find out what to do and let's do it. Amen. <laughs> we need to quit using that excuse. Oh, I, I just don't know what to say or do. Well, pray about it and ask someone, what should I say? What should I do? We can come up with something and the Holy Spirit can use it. Amen. Let's be God's redeeming presence to divorce and single parents. Amen. Let's be that church. You're not diminished in God's sight, by the way, if you have gone through divorce. You're not a lesser part of the body of Christ if you've gone through divorce. If you're raising kids alone, you're, you're a hero in my book because that's at least a two-person job you're doing. Sometimes two doesn't seem like enough. Amen. Do you, you have one of those kids? <laughs> it's so true. And so we love you and we support you. Your church loves you. We will help you. We will be there for you. We don't condemn you. Jesus doesn't condemn you. You're forgiven. His grace and His love and His presence are yours just as much as any saint sitting in the church. Amen. So what's our belief then? Um, okay, here, here it is. We don't want people to get divorced. God's plan for you is to stay married until death do you part. I mean, that's why we stand you up there in that fancy ceremony and, and uh, have you say those words in front of God and, and, and people because it's a covenant you're entering into and we expect it to be permanent. It's a vow. <laughs> it's not just legal. It's not just cultural. It's spiritual. And God helping you, you can keep that vow. It is expected to be for life. So there, what do we believe? That's what we believe. <laughs> You know, our culture has redefined marriage and family and commitment and freedom. And, and it's not just my opinion, but research by secular studies tell us that it's not going very well <laughs> in so many ways. On this 4th of July, I pray for our culture, for our nation. We face threats from foreign places and China's one of them by the way I, I love the Chinese people and their culture and they're, they're, they're good people and, and God has called us to reach out to them I'm having a struggle with the, the Chinese Communist Party right now though <laughs> I'm not, a, not very appreciative of what they're doing and what they're doing to Christians by the way pray for a young couple that's uh, part of our company and organization they've been taken in twice for questioning and have uh, the Chinese National Police have taken all their electronics at this point we don't uh, don't know what they're going to do if they're going to charge them with a crime or or just kick them out of the country soon but uh, they have another visit from the National Police coming this week China's cracked down on Christianity dramatically pray for this open door 
to remain open and let's take advantage of every opportunity. I know this 4th of July, though, it's, a, uh, it's bad news for America in some ways. We've got, we've got real problems. We're still the greatest nation ever. We're still a place where true righteousness has a chance <laughs> to really take hold and be the hallmark of the culture. But in this day when things are changing and marriage is being redefined, the good news is God has an alternative. God has an alternative to the way the world does things. And the church and Christianity, they tell us, are, are in decline in America, but the numbers do not tell the whole story. <laughs> the good news is that we're moving into an era when the church, and I mean the real church, is going to be more important in this culture than it's ever been. I think the church may look different in the future. And that's hard for me. I'm old school. I like, I like traditional church. But you know what? We serve a creative God who is going to take the church where the people need the church. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. God always sustains and revives His church. And I think the church is going to see a great day because it's, people need to see what Christian marriage looks like. People will see and want what Christian marriage and a Christian home looks like in this next generation. Let's, let's show them. Amen. If we could connect more people to authentic Christianity and they could see the way God can, can make a, a, a home into a, a household of faith, they're going to want that. Keep being salt and light, folks. Many of you are such beautiful examples of what God can do in a man and woman's relationship and marriage and and the home that he can create. Be salt and light to those around you. And I'm not talking about your online posts. I'm talking about be friends with people who don't know him. You see, my, my, my belief is that, that the gospel is not less effective now in this era. Somehow it's, it's, it's losing something. It has not lost a thing. It's still the power of God into salvation. Uh, so I'm not ashamed of it, are you? And I, I, maybe people just don't respond to it in this era. You know what? That's not true either. People are still very responsive. I think our problem, part of our problem today is that, that people are not coming in, into any kind of a, a, a meaningful connection with authentic Christianity used to just by having a church like this you know the community would come you'd have a special event you do a concert and something and people would come they ought to come here bruno don't, don't we have a great worship team Man, oh guys i've been to a lot of different kinds of churches over the past couple of years i've seen a lot of worship leaders of big churches and other I, you, we've got a great worship team <laughs> guys uh it's amazing the problem is people are not coming into a, a meaningful connection with authentic Christianity and the gospel. And so, like I said, the church may look different, but it's, God is going to find ways for the church to be that in this generation. Wednesday morning, Sharon and I got a very important text message. It was a text from Elvis. And 
No, not that Elvis. No, no, I'm sorry, not that Elvis. That, now, that would have been really cool, text from the king, you know. But uh, Elvis is my oldest daughter's boyfriend. And uh, in this day and age, and I'm okay with this, he, he was sending me a text message saying, uh, if it's okay with you, and he sent a picture of a really pretty ring, uh, I'm going to give your daughter this ring later today and ask her to marry me. Is this still okay with you? So I wrote a really nice text back. Yes, Elvis, that, that would be okay with us. We, we uh, kind of thought this was coming. And, you know, I hope that their marriage is lifelong. I hope it's good and rich and beautiful and a blessing to them both for all their lives. That same day, I went to a funeral service, and my dear cousin up in Oklahoma, he was a minister all his life, youth, youth pastor until he was too old to be youth pastor. Music, he and his wife did music for churches in Oklahoma. He, he uh, was senior pastor at a time in some churches, but, but the story was really not about his ministerial service. You know, in that whole service, it, it was about, about God's grace and he and his wife and their relationship and what God did through them. That's what the stories were about. Then the next day, Thursday, I went to another funeral. I'm about funeraled out this week. But uh, Pastor Emmett Dinwiddie passed away. Does anyone know Pastor Emmett, by the way? Emmett actually uh, pastored Denton First Church back in the like 1960, early 60s. He pastored churches all over the place, but he was 85 years old when Willowwood Church started on their building, and he built all of the cabinets in that church. He built, uh, hung all the doors, put all the lower level metal studs up with some other old men who, who were, were about as old as he was. He did so much of that work, built the stage structure, so much work on that church at 85 years of age. Incredible. But you know his funeral service Thursday? You know what it was about? His faithfulness and love for his family. That's what they talked about. Hmm. You know, God's design for marriage is that it be till death do you part. You'll be blessed if you fight for that. You'll be blessed if you can do that. We should all want it to end so well. Now, Matthew 19, Jesus condemns the way Jewish leaders did divorce, but his goal is really in the Sermon on the Mount is not to create a new construct for the way divorce is done in a society or, or marriage it happens. He's condemning the hard-hearted, selfish way it was being used. Now, don't get me wrong. God, God takes adultery and divorce very seriously. He expects you to keep your vows. That's our stance. That's what we believe. He wants you to live a pure and holy life. He wants you to not be, not be uh, just, you know, in bondage to sexual sin. He, that, that, God wants that for you. Jesus' standard for purity, though, is not just higher. It's not just that those Pharisees were at a really high level and Jesus was even higher. His law is to be written on our hearts, not just on a page or a stone. His work is internal, not just stricter external rules. His, his ways operate through, through grace and presence and even the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, not just through explaining more deeply the laws and precepts of the word jesus says i you know i i didn't come to do away with the law i came to fulfill it 
But then he also says, look at those guys, the most religious guys in town. And says, unless your righteousness is better than theirs, you're, you're not even going to see the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> so, before we stop, I just want to talk for just a second about the, 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 true, the nature of true righteousness. His call on us to be salt and light is not to raise up a modern day Pharisee whose righteousness is external, but whose inner life is still no different. In fact, he later would call them, you guys are, they're like whitewashed tombs. Remember Pastor Cal talking about that? They're all like clean and white and good, they look good on the outside, but they're just rotten and dead inside. That's what he meant by that. If you'd been there that day and you heard Jesus say, and he pointed to the Pharisees, and he said, unless you guys are, do better than these guys, you're not going to make it. You would have been shocked. The murmurings through that crowd that day, they're like going, no way, man. Those guys, those guys tithe on the spices they pick from the garden. Those guys won't lift more than a spoonful on the Sabbath. They're so righteous. Those guys, those guys won't even walk just a few steps. You know, the, the, the way that they lived, one of the things you could not do, you couldn't move a chair in your house on the Sabbath. Because most of the homes had dirt floors. And if your chair scraped the dirt, that would be considered plowing the ground on the Sabbath. <laughs> That's how righteous they were. Wow. And so the people standing there that day, and he says, unless you're more righteous than them, you're not going to make it. They're going like, they're so holy. I can't, I can't do better than that. We got to visit Israel. It was, we led a student group, uh, my wife and I co-led a student group and some parents that went. What an experience. If you ever get to go to the Holy Land, it's, it's incredible to actually be reading in your Bible about an event and be standing there where it happened. Pretty cool. Changes the way you read the Bible. But we were, we were in an elevator in, uh, actually in Jerusalem, and it was on the, the Sabbath. It was uh, actually probably Friday night. But we were going up to our room, and we got, in, and got into the, the elevator, and this elderly Jewish couple got in the elevator with us, and they were just standing there. And we had been told this might happen. And so I, finally I asked them, uh, uh, which, which floor? Nothing. They didn't say anything. So I phrased it a different way. I wonder what floor you guys were able to get a room on. Uh, oh, oh, they had an opening on seven. Oh, seven. I pushed seven for them. Because you see, Orthodox Jews on the Sabbath day, you can't push the elevator button because that would be considered work. And you can't directly ask someone to push it for you because then you're causing them to work on the Sabbath. And so... Yeah, we, our guide told us that might happen in our hotel. Well, they got to their room, and we did too. But you see, the, the believers, that, 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 that's their idea of righteousness. So what, and, and, is, and Jesus wants you to be more righteous than that? What's up with that? Listen carefully. The righteousness Jesus is trying to explain to us in the Sermon on the Mount is not just a higher standard, guys. It is something else entirely. It's not just a stricter version of the law. It's, it's a way for the law to actually be fulfilled in us. It is authentic righteousness. The Jews' idea of righteousness 
is avoiding anything that would defile you and make you unpure or unrighteous. And as if touching certain things or doing certain things makes the person unpure and it cancels God's righteousness. It does not. They misunderstood righteousness then, and they still do today. And you know what? The world misunderstands it too. Because they think Christians, it's just, we're just all about people who, who just don't do certain things. No, 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 you misunderstand what God is offering us. So the Jews, they wouldn't touch dead things. They wouldn't talk to women. They would take no time for children. They avoided immigrants who were unbelievers. They would never touch a sick person. They wouldn't get near a tax collector or a prostitute. At least they wouldn't get, try to get caught doing that. They avoided all sorts of things. They didn't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. At an extreme level. So when Jesus came and, and he touched sick people and he healed them and he took little children on his lap and said, unless you become like a little child, you, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about faith. And he talked to a foreign woman at a well and he ate with a, in a tax collector's house and he allowed a woman of questionable character to, to wash his feet with her tears and dry them with, with hair, her hair and, 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 and then had his disciples gather grain on the Sabbath because they didn't have any food and they were hungry. And he even made a, these scruffy fishermen and a tax collector his part of his 12 disciples. The religious Jewish leaders lost their minds. <laughs> unholy. Everything he's doing. Everything he's doing is unholy. <laughs> he claims to be a teacher of God's word, but he's... he's impure understand this guys jesus is not telling you to just get more religious he's telling you something entirely different and this is it righteousness is not attained by obeying the rules or avoiding certain people or places or things if you can lose your righteousness by petting a pig or bumping into someone who's sick what kind of righteousness is that anyway <laughs> Jesus' standard is not just higher, it's different. It's better. It's a new covenant. It's built on God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, not on the ability of a person to, to, to keep the rules better than other people. But on the power of God to change a person's heart. <laughs> Jesus said the greatest commandment, and, and they're always trying to, trick Jesus, ask him a question he couldn't answer in public. And those are some of my favorite passages when they try to trick Jesus and ask him a hard question, you know. It never went well for them. They finally quit doing that, you know. But they had the, one of the big discussions is what was the greatest commandment. That was a big discussion in that day. And so they ask him in front of everyone, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus doesn't hesitate at all. Well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then there's a second one that goes right along with it, or it's on the same level as. And that second one is to love your neighbors yourself. All you're arguing about the greatest commandment, all the, all the discussion about laws and rules, you can hang them right there on those two commandments, he said. If you love God with everything in you, and you love people, allow God to love people through you, the rest of this starts to take care of itself, guys. Amen? <laughs> that's Matthew 22 by the way the great commandment 
So here it is. I met my wife Sharon at, at New Life Ranch. Anyone ever been to New Life Ranch up in eastern Oklahoma? Oh, you should go. It's the most beautiful youth camp anywhere. I grew up five miles from there. Foothills of the Ozarks, beautiful spring-fed stream and lake, everything. Just beautiful place. And I worked there for six summers and directed their summer program for uh, senior, senior camp a couple of years. You know how tired, Michael, you know how tired you get at camp after one week? We did 10 weeks each summer. So <laughs> we were dead by the end of the summer, but we were young. We didn't know any better. Friday night was testimony night, and we had this, they still do this, they had this, this, this cross uh, with candles that, that placed on it, and for each testimony, they would light a candle, the room would be dark, and it would get brighter as the candles were lit, you know, that kind of thing, it's really cool, that, that's a tradition there, it's gone on for years, the camp is very evangelistic, and, and, and sees many kids one to Christ each summer, and so we're there, and, and I, I don't even know this little boy's name, I wish I did, but he gave a testimony I will never forget, and it was a real simple one. It was his second year at camp, and he was very shy about it, and he looked down the whole time he was giving it. It was real short, but it just went something like this. Last year, I didn't know Jesus, but my counselor told me about him, and I asked him to be my Savior. <laughs> my mom and dad didn't know Jesus. He said, in my house, I have to take the trash out. My mom always had to yell at me to take it out. But after I met Jesus, I wanted to take it out for my mom, so I just did it. One day my mom asked me why I took the trash out now without her yelling at me. And I told her that Jesus is in my heart, and I just want to do it. Now my mom and dad know Jesus, and we go to church every Sunday. That was his testimony. He ran back to his seat and sat down. What a profound testimony about what God wants to do in us. He doesn't just want you to take the trash out because it's the rule. He wants you to want to take the trash out. <laughs> There's an episode of Friends where Jennifer Aniston and that uh, Matthew, what's his name? Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big Friends fan, but this episode I, 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 I saw. They're arguing about helping in the kitchen. Remember, do you want to know this episode? I, I don't know what it's called. But, but she, she says, you know, she's just demanding, you need to help more. I do everything. You, you come home, you don't do anything, and, and, and you should be helping in the kitchen. And finally he says, I'll fine, I, I, okay, I'll start helping in the kitchen. I'll do the dishes now. I'll just do it. And she says, no, I don't want you to do that. He said, wait, 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 you just said you want me to help. And she said, no, it's not just that, but I want you to want to help. Oh. <laughs> you see it, don't you? He doesn't just want you to do it because it's the rule or the expectation or the demand he wants you to do it because it's the right thing to do. It's God's will for you. So we, we, we don't hate because there's no hate in the heart filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we don't lust because there's no room for desires that He does not desire for us. We don't just avoid adultery. Our heart is for our family and our heart is for our home. It's not, that stuff's not on our radar. Huh. 
Righteousness had been twisted in that day and that time to mean something God never intended it to mean and it's still being twisted today. You know, that's why it's so important that you don't just post stuff online and call that witnessing. You need to sit across from the table and have a cup of coffee with people who misunderstand righteousness today because they think Christianity is all about rules and do's and don'ts. We do obey God's word, but we do it out of, heart, out of a heart of love for him and a love for people. So we get up in the morning and, you know... When someone asked the question uh, in a sermon one time, what, what did Jesus do when he got up in the morning? Someone said, oh, he went off and prayed. So he did that a lot. But, but you know what he did? He did whatever he wanted to do. Not because he was all-powerful, but because what he wanted to do and what God wanted him to do were the same. Is that possible for a human being? It is. The Holy Spirit can do this. And you know what? Glorious freedom is, is not just being forgiven of sin. Glorious freedom is when your heart is aligned with God's. And you can do whatever you want to do. Because what I want is what He wants. <laughs> well, the world defines freedom as being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, without being blamed or questioned or deterred from it. And that's not freedom because that just leads to bondage, right? Our world misunderstands freedom but there is a glorious freedom to living out of a heart fully committed and fully relying on God by the way being salt and light it doesn't work very well when it's just external when you're just doing things to show people you're good people in our culture are really sharp they can they can spot an ulterior motive because everyone that comes at them seems to come with an ulterior motive now. Just authentically love them with the love of Christ. Do what Jesus would do and love people. When you come at people and your only motive is loving God and loving them, that's still very attractive, guys. It's still disarming and they'll still want to hear the gospel when the time is right. So my prayer for you today as we close is, is not just that you don't get divorced and don't commit adultery. I certainly hope that's, that's true also. But my prayer is that your heart will be changed and your mind will be renewed so that you love yourself and you love your family, you love your world, you love God, and you live freely as you serve God and you do His will. Let's pray before the worship team leads us. Heavenly Father, I want to pray today for our nation first. Thank you, Father, for the freedom that we have for those who paid for it dearly, some with their lives. We don't take this for granted. And with all the struggles that our nation has today, we know that you are able to work in our nation. So we ask you to come and revive your church. I pray today for the church and pray you'd continue to pour out your spirit. Thank you for what you're doing in Lantana Church. And I pray, Father, for marriages here in the church. Guard over them. Help the people of your, of your congregation, Lord God, to uh, turn their hearts toward home first. But most of all, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are changing us, that you are helping us that you're empowering us 
that you're, you're bringing true righteousness to bear on our hearts so that when you call us to obey you, our hearts say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and your way every day. Your mercies are new every morning and you do not leave us as we walk in your ways. We give you praise and glory and honor for what you're doing in our hearts and lives today, Jesus. Amen and amen. Can we all stand?